I'm glad that you're here with us today, and I know that um, there's a lot going on today. It is Mother's Day, and so if we can, just real quick, uh, can we have all the moms stand up? Just, just represent yourselves a little bit. There you go. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for standing just now. That was awesome. Um, we're just very glad to um, to be able to honor moms, to honor aunts and grandparents, and um, all of the women in our lives that God has used to shape us and mold us and speak truth to us and care for us and show us Jesus in action um, God has used so many women in all of our lives, and um, today is a day to say thank you to all of them. And so we're just very, very thankful for that. And we um, we do something in honor of the moms here at the church every year, but I'll talk about that at the end because it will make more sense uh, afterwards. Um, but this morning we have a, a very, uh, very special uh, like privilege of ours to be able to hear from Kyle and Jackie Kirkpatrick. Uh, they have been with us for the last several months, and I'll let them tell their story. Uh, you, if you've been here around a little bit, you're like, yeah, I definitely feel like, like you mean they go here, right? And they, they have gone here, and they're about, but they're about to go back to what God has called them to, big picture wise, in their lives. And so this is this will be their last Sunday with us for a little while. And so Kyle's going to be uh, preaching here in just a minute, and he and Jackie are both going to share a little bit right now. So uh, everyone likes to be clapped for, so let's show them that we're glad that we're here, that they're here. It's Kyle and Jackie Kirkpatrick. So we are so thrilled to be here with you. As Josh just mentioned, this is our last Sunday with you for a little while. Um, we are your IMB missionaries to Macedonia, which is in South Europe. And um, we have had a wonderful privilege to be able to worship with you many, many times in these last seven months. Um, just to kind of give a, a quick recap, um, in last September, I went in for a, a routine surgery. And during that surgery, uh, the doctor found cancer very unexpectedly for him and for me and for Kyle and for my family. Um, it was a shock, and it kind of um, quickly, you know, we had plans, and that was not on our on our uh, radar at all. And um, but the Lord is great, and His He is faithful, and um, we thought we would be treat. I would be treated. It's a joint thing, but we thought I would be treated in Macedonia, but then it just felt like the Lord was really leading us to come back here. Um, we have three children who obviously were raised on the field with us. We've been there 25 years, but um, all three of them are in Louisiana right now. Our daughter, Rebecca, and her husband are in Bossier and Treeport area, and um, Joshua Kirkpatrick and Daniel Kirkpatrick and well, Joshua and Jesse, his wife. Daniel and his fiance are here in Baton Rouge and here as part of your church. So um, when we came back, um, that's kind of how we got connected with Living Hope. And I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have done. Being here on, on Mother's Day and seeing the young families <clears throat> with their children and the way this is a family dedication, that's so fabulous because that's what you have been for our children is you have gathered around them as family when we were so far away, when our boys came to college. And then um, 
as we have come back for, for my treatment, you have just been family to us and it has been such a blessing. We've had people um, cook meals and we've had people um, constantly hugging on me, which is great treatment for me. I'm a hugger. And, um, and just loving us and supporting us and asking us how things are going and checking on us. Um, I really do feel like um, I think that y'all, many of you have probably been part of that, a team building um, experience where they have the, the free fall. And so you're supposed to build trust. And I feel like when I found out I had cancer and we had to come back suddenly and we didn't have a place to live and we didn't have a car and we didn't know anything about an oncologist and um but the lord provided everything i needed he provided and he provided so much of that in the body of christ and through you and you just caught us as i was doing that free fall you just caught us and so thank you so much for that thank you for the years that you have supported and encouraged us from afar and now even more um tangibly you've you've carried us along. So in March, I had my last chemo treatment, and I rang the bell, and, um, and I thank the Lord so much for that. Um, and so I've been cleared, and now we will be heading back to Macedonia to continue our service um, there, and I'm so thankful that that is part of the journey that he has for us as well. So we leave Thursday got lots going on emotionally right now. It's bittersweet, but we are thankful for the call that he had on our lives. I'm thankful even for this journey that took us through cancer um, because I see his faithfulness. And he has shown it to me through your hands and your, your hearts and your love. And so thank you for being the body of Christ for us. It is appropriate that uh, I think the first time we kind of publicly were able to speak to you guys was at the beginning of the Advent season, and Jackie reminded me it was lighting the candle of hope, and that was actually, if I'm correct, the Sunday before she went in for surgery, and the Sunday before we shaved her head, and uh, it's appropriate that we're here at the end of that journey. So thank you so much. It really, We really want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for you as a church, for what you have done for, for us personally these, these several months, and, and beyond that, even more importantly, with uh, ministering to our boys and letting them be a part of this fellowship. Our daughter and older son were here in the early service. Only our younger one is here now. He's at the back. So I think it means the older two are open to be used for any example that I would choose during, the, during this sermon. It is also appropriate uh, that it's Mother's Day. <clears throat> and actually, when Josh... Uh, asked me if, if I could preach. This was the only Sunday we had available and, and left. And my first thought was, oh my goodness, it's Mother's Day. Who wants to hear a mission sermon on Mother's Day? Uh, but you know, actually, just as they had the, the families up here, uh, none of us were surprised that any of these young couples had a baby with them. You go, that's kind of what's expected, right? It's just kind of a question of when, right? You know, I mean, our daughter's been married uh, seven, eight months now, and people are starting to ask, you know, so are you a grandfather yet, you know? Well, no, but sure, I'm eager for that day, and, you know, we'll, we'll gladly embrace it when it comes. It's, it's kind of the normal approach to things. Well, why is it that as a church, we often don't expect spiritual multiplication or spiritual reproduction we expect it from these young families. Why not as a church? 
So often as a church, we, we think it's, it's us and it's good and we want to add to our number. And we forget that when God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, that there's also spiritual principle in that. And, and the key to that really is health, a healthy church. Now, I am going to talk some about missions, but I really want to drill down a bit on that idea of, of healthy church and one thing in particular that, that is crucial in a church being healthy. And the reason I want to emphasize that is because you, as a church, should be sending people to the nations. Really, the basic identity of a church is a church makes disciples who make disciples. And because of the nature of who God is and, and His command to us, we don't keep that just here. We don't selfishly hold that good news to ourselves. We, we extend it out. We multiply to the ends of the earth. But we want to make sure that that which we're multiplying is healthy. And so that's what we're going to really drill down on today is, is healthy church. Now, one of the things that Jackie and I struggle with the most as missionaries is when we come back to the States and we're always here a relatively short time, even six months can be a, a short time, and we spend a lot of that time visiting different churches. And so we've been, probably most of our time, we've been here at Living Hope when we could be. If you didn't see us here on a given Sunday, I guarantee we were speaking at another church somewhere else, either in the area or sometimes a little further afield. And that's difficult because as missionaries, then it means we don't have the opportunity to really kind of plant ourselves and root ourselves in one fellowship and be ministered to by that fellowship. Uh, so we, we miss that. We miss that part of being part of the body of Christ because we're often in a different part uh, every, uh, every other week. Now, one advantage to that traveling around and being in different churches is it gives us the opportunity as, as outsiders to kind of get a snapshot of the church in America, the, the broader church. And I've got to be honest with you, uh, that snapshot that we've had these last six months has not always been uh, something that has excited us. In fact, it's often been something that has discouraged us. Uh, churches around the world, but I'll speak very specifically to America now, are struggling. Churches are, are often uh, having problems within themselves. Church life can be very difficult, and I, I think part of that is because all of us in our very nature are, are like a little hedgehog. Uh, we're, we're little cute and cuddly creatures from far away, but you get too close and we've got these spines and we, and we might poke each other when we get too close. Uh, church life can be, can be rough. Now, I want to say honestly and sincerely from the bottom of our heart, we don't see those problems here at Living Hope. We have been very encouraged with what we see here in this fellowship, with the community groups. And I love it when our kids will say, we can't get together with you on Tuesday night because we have community group. And for us, that's like the only valid reason not to be with mom and dad, <laughs> is be a part of that church community group. We, we love that. We, we love the way, you know, Philip and Sarah, we love, love the hug you get every day when we see you guys. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. The fellowship here is great. Now, even as we say that to you, and we, we truly say, you're one of the few churches we would tell somebody, oh, you're moving to Baton Rouge? Go to Living Hope. We would say that without any hesitation. At the same time, we need to say to you a word of warning. Be very careful. That which you have, the unity and the spirit that God has given you, is, is a fragile thing. Now, it's not fragile because of Jesus, 
No, Jesus is actually the strong rock that this church is built upon. And, and it's not fragile because of anything he has done or, or could do. Uh, the church is an amazingly resilient organism. That over 2,000 years, so much has been done to destroy the church that has not succeeded. Not even in the least. In fact, even where, where local fellowship may be stamped out physically because of an intense persecution, perhaps even murdering of believers, even then the church has grown and has thrived because the church and the founder of the church are, are indestructible. But our problem is inside. The fragility of the church is inside. It's always that case. It could be false teaching, but more importantly, what we'll look at today is, is the issue of pride. Pride is the one thing that can more quickly destroy a local church. That, that wonderful unity and fellowship that you have is fragile if you allow your pride to sneak in. So we want to talk about that today because my desire for you as a church and for all of the churches that, that we are parts of is to be healthy, to thrive, to reproduce, and to reproduce with healthy new churches, whether that's here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or even in Macedonia. So let's look at some scripture that speaks to this very clearly. We're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love the way this passage ends with that emphasis on praising Christ. And, and we would say as a church we've already sung and, and we will sing later that, that glorifying Christ is what we're all about. It is that one purpose of the church is to glorify and exalt Jesus. And yet this passage makes it so clear what must take place in us and among us as a church for that glorifying Christ to happen. It is not a concert where we can just sing out and broadcast it you know, loudly as possible that, hey, Christ is glorified. Let's just hear the music. Now, Paul really clearly talks about how it begins with us, that it is our attitude, our, our position of saying, it is not about me. It's actually about elevating other people around me so that Christ can be glorified. It is about humbling ourselves. And that is something that is so very hard, to humble ourselves. It's one of those words that, that we can say so easily. I had a professor who used to say, humility is the one quality that when you think you possess it, you immediately lose it. <laughs> when you think you have it, all of a sudden you don't. 
Because it's easy to pride ourselves on being humble, which is such a contradiction. But to give you an example, very personal, just consider it personal confession, uh, how easily pride can creep in. This morning, Jackie and I are driving here, and on the way, I'm thinking, I hope I speak well. I hope they like what they hear. And instantly, the, the emphasis is on me and my delivery. And, and it's not humble. And that, that's just a thought, right? But we all are so very aware of that. I think it, it begins as that thought. I hope I'm noticed. I hope I'm recognized. I hope I do well. And, and some of that is, is part of our culture, right? You want to do well. You want to do your best with every opportunity that you have. But it's such a dangerous field there where, where pride so easily creeps in that my doing my best becomes a reflection of myself as opposed to reflecting the glory of God in me. Pride is insidious, and it creeps into our lives so easily. So what does Paul say about this? He begins with really what I would say is the the bare minimum, the lowest bar possible for Christian fellowship. So he says here in verses 1 and 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. He's basically saying... You don't have to be this super mature Christian for this text to apply to you. In fact, if you just barely cross the bar, you have believed in Jesus Christ, you have repented in faith, then this applies to you. So I would hope that means all of us in this room. If you've crossed that that bare threshold, this speaks to you. And it says, if you just got that bare grain in common with the people sitting next to you, then you've got to work at this. What do you have to work at? He continues in saying, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same thoughts, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now this is far from a cry for, for uniformity. It's called unity, and unity actually implies some differences. So we're not asking that we all be the same, but we're asking when they have the same purpose. And that purpose is really what is reflected at the end of the passage, that Christ be glorified everywhere that every knee would bow, every tongue confess. That's the ultimate purpose of the church. It is not just our purpose to gather regularly on, a, on any given Sunday and, and share fellowship together. That's not our ultimate purpose. It's really not even our purpose to just send missionaries to the other side of the world. But that purpose is for Christ to be glorified both here and there. That is what we're all about. So Paul says, though, for that purpose to be fulfilled, we've got to start in our hearts with ourselves. And we begin with humility. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That is so contradictory to our American culture today. Everything in our culture right now is about vanity. It's about conceit. It's, you know, I grew up in the days of Muhammad Ali was, I am the greatest, right? And I knew that name, Muhammad Ali, because he said he was the greatest. And I argue with my sons every day that he really was the greatest. You know, not every day, often. Uh, But our society is focused on who's the greatest. You know, the the debate in sports, who's who's the GOAT? Who's the greatest of all times? You know, is it Tom Brady or is is it Joe Montana or whoever? That's what we're, we're obsessed with, greatness. Greatness of the human, greatness of the individual. And, And Paul's saying, if that's where you're headed... You're on the wrong track. And primarily because if you call yourself a Christian, 
That means you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and look what he did. So Paul really takes here the example of Jesus. Now, Josh, I need to compliment you. Your Easter sermon, I think, did a great job of emphasizing Jesus is the Son of God, but he's also man. And, and that's a, a tension we struggle with. And if you go back and listen to that sermon of how that works out when you look at Jesus as our example. Because the temptation is to say, Jesus is our example. He's God. I can't be like that. But Paul is actually saying here, yes, he's God, and you can follow his example. It's not impossible because Jesus did it in the power of the Spirit. So let's look at what Jesus did. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So, again, no wiggle room here, right? He's saying, be like Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This is a hugely important verse. Because what this verse is saying here is it's not that Jesus didn't have value, and so he could humble himself, but it's precisely because he did have value as equal with God, the Son of God, fully equal with God the Father, fully equal with the Spirit. He had all this value and all the glory all the praise that is due God is due Jesus Christ. He, he just implicitly owns all of that glory and praise because of who he is. And precisely because of that, he says, that's not something I have to grab at, not something I have to grasp. It, it's what naturally belongs to me. So I'm not grabbing for something that's not mine, nor do I feel like I have to hold on to it as if I let go that it will demean who I am and diminish who I am. No, actually, Jesus can say, being the Son of God, being equal with God, I am able to humble myself, fully secure in who I am, but still humbling myself. See, unfortunately, we equate humbling yourself with humiliation. Humiliation is bad, right? That is degrading and devaluing a person. But to humble yourself is not bad. It's actually saying, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you can say, I am a child of God. I have incredible worth and value because of what Jesus has done for me. And because of that, I don't have to grab at it. I don't have to tell other people that, hey, look how valuable I am. Because of that value inherent as a child of God, I can humble myself. And I can serve freely without feeling like I'm demeaning myself or being humiliated by other people. True humility actually comes out of knowing who we are in Christ and then saying, I don't have to grab onto that. I can actually release it knowing that's who I am and secure in that I can serve other people. That's what Jesus did. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That, that word servant uh, should kind of be a jab at us. Um, I guarantee none of us woke up this morning thinking, I want to be the best servant I can be today. Typically in our culture, our thought is, I want to be the best leader I can be today. How can I lead people? How can I influence? How can I be the one out in front? That, that's how we're geared. And Paul's saying, not in the church. We, we don't need leaders. We need servants. Now, would, was Jesus a leader? Most certainly but he didn't grasp at that. It wasn't something he aspired to from a sense of like position. He said, I'm a servant, and he came to serve. Now, we see Jesus' service in so many ways. You know, probably the best example is washing the disciples' feet. 
But you, you see it in many other ways as he refuses often attention and he, he refuses position and power. He, he chooses to serve. But the verse here goes beyond just any normal uh, activity that we might consider serving. It says he was obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Now, I want, I want to challenge you as I have to challenge myself with this verse. How often is our obedience to God dependent on what is convenient for us in the moment? That we know God is asking something of us, but we also understand that His ask is big. His ask may disrupt my plans. His ask may actually take my aspirations and my ambitions and say, you need to put those aside for what God is asking. See, if, if I... This is a dangerous statement, but if I had been in Jesus' place, when, when the people started saying, hey, you could be our king, that would have sounded really good to me. You know, I, I could be a king, and let's kind of forget that cross part, the suffering part. We, we are primed as sinful people to gravitate towards what is, is big and glorious and, and positions and power, and we want to avoid the cross the very suffering that was essential and actually an essential sign of Jesus' servanthood and his obedience and was essential to salvation. We want to do what's convenient. We want to do what, what fits our plans. If God is sovereign, and he is, he has the right to wreck our plans. Now, Jackie alluded to that in our own lives, that these six, seven months uh, was not what we had planned uh, we, we had other desires. God, God changed our plans. Now, our choice in that is to, to accept it and be obedient in that or to, to rebel and grind our teeth and gnash our teeth and, and be angry at God in that. But what if his choice for you, for you as a church, for you as an individual, maybe is something that requires much more than your convenience? You see, in, in missions... Um, we, we have a great team, and actually as, as a, a church that gives to missions, you're, you're part of that team. And our team includes people who give, people who pray, and people who go. And we found out recently, because of Jackie's diagnosis, how, how thin our team is. That uh, you might say our, our bench is a, kind of a thin bench. Because one cancer diagnosis can, can take a missionary family off the field. Or other things. Actually, in the last two years, partly thanks to COVID, we've seen greater attrition among missionaries than at any other time. A lot of people have been leaving the mission field. Some of that's because of extreme loneliness and isolation during COVID times. Some of that's because family relationships got strained during these times. As, as missionaries, we've not been able to meet together on a regular basis. Usually once a year, we gather together. So just imagine that for a moment. You get to sing songs of praise and worship in your heart language once a year with other believers. And we kind of look at those meetings as wonderful times to restore us and refresh us. And we haven't been able to do that since 2019. Uh, we're going to be doing it in a few weeks, uh, we hope. Uh, but those times, the lack of those times of fellowship have been very difficult for, for missionaries. And, and many people have left the field. So we, we look around and we say, man, the, the bench is shallow. Who's going to be the next person up? Now, one wonderful answer to that question, the only answer really to that question, is they, the person who's next comes out of this room and rooms like this around the world. 
Because God's plan is so, for, for missions, his plan for world missions, global missions, is so tightly connected to the local church. In fact, there's no really real distinction. The local church is the force for missions. So I want to say today, maybe some of you need to think that the obedience that God might be asking for for me as his servant might be answering the call to missions might be that today I need to, to say that's not convenient for me, God. But if that's what you want, I'll do that. And, and for you moms who, who today are enjoying the, the small child that you've, you have with you, you may be thinking, God, if, if you would choose this child, it's not convenient for me. Ask my mom and my grandma how convenient it is to have your grandchildren on the other side of the world. It's not. But would you do that? Will we be obedient even to death. Now, isn't it wonderful? Of course, we just celebrated Easter last month. Wonderful that the word doesn't end with death. <laughs> when it says here that Christ was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Isn't it wonderful that that's not the final word? That in this passage, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and that is, again, that's what we're shooting for, right? The glory of God among the nations. But again, it begins with the church. It begins with humility in the church, a humility that leads to unity, a unity that fuels our purpose to see Christ declared to the nations. I want to close today just with three prayer requests for, for Jackie and I personally. Um, and the first really is just a, a request that you would join us in, in saying thank you to God for what he has done in our family these, these months, that, that he has brought healing to Jackie. Also, just the extra time with our kids these uh, six, seven months has been really special, really sweet, and we are thankful for what God has done. And, and as Jackie said earlier, we're thankful for the body of Christ and how you have ministered to us. So the first request is just that of gratitude. Second would be, a practical application of today's message for, for us personally, primarily for me. Jackie doesn't have a problem with humility like, like I do. Um, but it's easy for me, going back to Macedonia now after six, seven months' absence, to think, okay, the things we had pressed pause on, now we can do those because I'll be there. You know, I'll, I'll show up and we can move things forward. And there's just an inherent pride in that that I would appreciate your prayers for humility for me, that I don't try and uh, make things happen in my own power and, and in my own way. Uh, our church there has, has more than survived while we've been gone, and we want the maturity that they have developed in, in our absence to continue even in our presence. And the third thing would be for peace in Europe. Uh, you're very aware of the, the war in Ukraine uh, the problems there that are having incredible uh, consequences around the continent and even around the world. Uh, we don't see those things ending anytime soon. Our prayer is that, that the war will end. And primarily, we pray that alongside this horrible crisis that the gospel will continue to go out. Uh, I do want to say a, a word of praise, I think, for, 
for the missionaries that you have sent out, in particular to Russia and Ukraine. So we had, with the International Mission Board, we had 40 missionaries in Ukraine, over 70 in Russia, and uh, all of them had to be evacuated because of this war. Most of those who came out of Ukraine redeployed in, in Poland, Budapest, uh, Hungary, and in Romania. And they've continued to work with Ukrainian refugees uh, in that crisis. We need to be praying for, for those refugees. Ukraine actually had the most evangelical believers of any Eastern European country, actually of any European country, the most evangelical believers. And what has happened with the war is those believers have been scattered all through Europe. And new Ukrainian churches have been started almost every week in the last eight or nine weeks. It's really amazing. Again, it's testimony to, to God and what he does in the church. So please, though, pray for peace in Europe and that we would not hold back. It's, it's easy in a time of war to say, yes, God, we need to reach the nations, but not now. It's, it's not safe. Well, it really never has been about our safety. It's about the glory of God. As a church, as a mission agency, as, as individuals, we don't need to shrink back even in this time of war. We pray for peace, but we keep working even in this time. Let me pray for you, and again just say thank you for being the body of Christ for us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this church, for living hope. I thank you, Lord, for the way this church has ministered to Jackie and me how they've welcomed our boys and made them a part of this body. We thank you, Lord. Father, there's been so much good that we have seen in this church, and we thank you. And Father, at that same time, I pray that word of warning for this church, that pride would be put aside, that any temptation for a pat on the back would be replaced with a desire to serve even more. I pray, Lord, for humility. I pray, Lord, that each individual in the church would be just hyper-vigilant to being humble, to setting aside pride in self, and to accepting the free gift of grace in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for being the one who works for us and in us and through us. You are good, and we praise you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.